0: Migration Conversations is a podcast that invites persons to share their migration stories. Hosted by myself, Professor Jamie Liu, each episode is an in depth conversation with people who have experienced the Canadian immigration system or other migration regimes up close. We talk to migrants, immigrants, lawyers, policymakers, advocates, and experts. We hope that these conversations shed light on the challenges migrants face through their own voices. On today's episode, we speak with Roysa, a previously stateless person in Malaysia. I first met Roysa in January 2018 when she was on the precipice of becoming an adult in Malaysian law. She was racing towards trying to advocate and ensure her citizenship application would be granted before she became ineligible as a result of her age. As you listen to this podcast and this conversation, ask yourself what kinds of difficulties and experiences she endured while waiting for her application to be processed, and what kinds of things she had to perform or do in order to eventually obtain her citizenship. Today we're going to be talking to a young woman named Roysa. She was a previously stateless person in Malaysia, but has now uh, been conferred citizenship. So, first of all, I want to say congratulations, <laughs> Roysa. Um, when I first met you, when I first met you, you were stateless, and it, a year later, um, when I received the news that you obtained your citizenship, I couldn't be happier for you. So I'm so glad that there's a happy ending to your story.
1: <laughs> yeah, thank you so much.
0: <laughs> so Roysa, you and I met in Malaysia yeah. in January 2018 and at the time you did not have citizenship to any country whatsoever and you were stateless. Um, can you tell me why you were stateless when we first met and you know I understand that you learned you were stateless at the age of 12 and Maybe give us a sense of how you discovered you were stateless.
1: Um, so basically when here in Malaysia, basically when you turn in, um, into 12 years old, uh, you had a whole, you know, like a birth certificate. And then after that, when you reach 12 years old, uh, on your birthday, you are to term- automatically uh, applicable to register for identity card, which is your, um, like a car license. So basically from there, uh, me and my adoptive parent, we went to the registration office. And then from there, we just uh, found out that, um, that I had no basically legal document, documentation uh, for my, you know, like for my citizenship. So basically, I cannot apply for the IC, the identity card. So we had to go for a long process, which is, um, here we call it like Pedaftaran Lewat Kairan, which is a late birth certification. So we had to go through that process. So from there, uh, I just found out that I was deadless. So basically, we... You know, like it's it's a new journey starting from there.
0: (laughs) Yeah, so from what I understand is that Mm -hmm. what you just said is that you didn't know that your birth certificate was not a legal document uh, that you were adopted when you were younger. And at the age of 12, it's very common for people to go to the registrar's office to get an identification card from the Malaysian government. At the age of 12, you become eligible for this IC, as they call it. Mm -hmm. And when you went to apply, you were told your birth certificate was not a legal document and you were not a citizen. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. How did you, were you there when they told you that you were not a citizen? They told you face-to-face at the government office? Um, basically, not directly words toward me, but I kind of
1: get the, you know, like what they are saying. So basically, me just like, oh, oh no, you cannot register for this, you have to do something else. and Then we just went for that.
0: How did you feel when you couldn't get your IC or when you realised that you possibly were not a citizen?
1: Uh, at first, I was really young and I was like, you know, like, like other kids who really want to have their own cards, you know, like my friend had it first. So I was like really helpful, hopeful, I was like um, very excited. So when I was first thought that, I was like, "What was happening?" So kind of like shocked and like a little bit sad. I think that time.
0: Yeah, <laughs> it must have been very upsetting. I think it's very similar okay. in Canada when um, children. I think in some provinces you can get a learner's license to drive a car at 16. And I remember when I was doing that, it's very exciting. You want to get it because some of your friends have it, but then to be told it by a government official, wait a second, you don't qualify. You can't get it. That can be disappointing. Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to ask after that, um, encounter at the government office, um, you were told to go somewhere else, which was to obtain a new birth certificate. That's correct.
1: Uh yeah, we kinda like uh first we we want to register for IC, right? Then we have to change our course like we had to do a late certificate. So it was like totally three three sixty degrees changes. So I was like uh, okay, what is this? So kind of like that. Thing.
0: Yeah. So um after that uh, you were told to go get a new birth certificate and did your adoptive parents help you get a a new birth certificate
1: Uh, at first we didn't really we have to apply for this um, form which is for the late uh, late birth certification so from there my adoptive parent. Uh, she filled up all the form that the officer told us to fill up. So from there, we just like uh, my adoptive parent and it all by herself.
0: Yeah. So it sounded like a lot of paperwork you had to complete to mm-hmm. get, uh, and it sounded like you had to apply for a late application for mm-hmm. a birth certificate. And were you granted a, a birth certificate after all of that? Um, I actually get that certificate
1: after three years, so it's <laughs> very long journey to go. Uh, yeah, after three years, three years, then I first got my birth certificate and my also my adaptive, um like uh, what
0: official letters, something like that. But the birth certificate that you got after a couple years of waiting stated that you were not a citizen is that correct yeah so even after filling out all of that paperwork and all of that um, application processing time you did get your birth certificate but then it stated that you were not a citizen correct Mm -hmm. yeah that's very true (laughs) and how did you feel when you obtained your birth certificate then um basically I don't really think it's a you know
1: like a legal documentation is basically like almost to nothing because at the end of the day you cannot use that um, birth certificate for like I like citizenship uh, you know the the treatment the specialties from that right so basically um, I was actually really happy at the time it was like um, you see you you it's, it's like you're seeing a
0: light uh, over the darkness, so, yeah. <laughs> so, you, your, when you obtained your birth certificate, you were hopeful that this would help you obtain citizenship later, is that correct? Uh, yeah.
1: From there, when I first got my birth certificate, and also I have completed my uh, official letter with my adoptive parent, I went to apply for uh, citizenship uh, at the Home Ministry. So from there, uh, it's like a totally different journey from when I want to uh, get my first uh, birth certificate. It's a different process to go, uh, which is uh, citizenship is much
0: longer, which is I wait for five years. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wow. <laughs> Okay, so let me get this straight, you were told when you were applying for your identification card at the age of 12, that your Mm -hmm. birth certificate was not a legal document and that you weren't a citizen. So then you applied for a new birth certificate that took about two years to get. When you got your new birth certificate, Mm -hmm. it said you were not a citizen. And then you took that birth certificate and used it to apply for citizenship um through another government office and that application took five years to process is that correct yes <laughs> it took whole five years uh to
1: wait for the result, which is uh waiting for the uh either the ship is um was denied or not so basically during that Five years we are protecting directly with the home ministry, which is uh, responsible for citizenship application. So uh, we are waiting from their side. So basically, I wait for five years for that.
0: Um, and how did you feel during that five years? Were you, um, what were you experiencing? Were you able to, uh, did you experience any challenges during that five years?
1: Oh. <laughs> A lot of things, basically you uh, almost had nothing, you know, like uh, legal documentation. like where you want to go, what you want to do, uh, you basically have to have legal documentation, right? So basically my five years is I was like in high school, so basically I can't really uh, access to healthcare, public healthcare, which is, uh, you know, like private healthcare is really expensive. So and then for education, I, basically my, my school uh, really helped me a lot in terms of um, what kind of treatment, like other uh, citizenship, yeah, I do get that. Uh, but in terms of like uh, the offer to go better schools, um, like any activities that, you know, like are required to, uh, to do the I was limited to that. I was kind of like very uh, insecure too. I was like very, really worried about that. That thing I was like, did no one know except for my teachers? So I was
0: was like uh, a little bit reserved at school. Yeah. So from what I understand, you weren't able to access healthcare, um, that you you were lucky. Normally, stateless children don't get to go to school, but your teachers mm-hmm. helped you out and able and were able yeah. to um, help you enroll in school. Um, but that you were also afraid that uh, um, of how people would treat you, and so you only told your teachers mm-hmm. and only your parents knew you were stateless. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. And that anything yeah. that required documentation, you weren't able to do. So any activities or any mm-hmm. official um, programming, you could not participate in because you didn't have identification.
1: Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah.
0: that's that's really difficult to deal with at a young age. <laughs> and I'm sorry you had to deal with that. <laughs> yeah. No. And um, I understand that you met uh, a paralegal Satya by the name of Satya Mm -hmm. um, through someone at your school um, who also helped you with your applications. Um, Can you tell me Mm -hmm. why do you think it is important for people to get legal assistance to help them with the process of obtaining citizenship and especially in your case? Uh, Okay, uh,
1: it's
0: for me and my adoptive parent which is at that time
1: my adoptive parent was like 40 to 50 something, uh, 50, 50 years old, she was really old, like uh, this kind of process is like really long and complicated in terms of the, the form, what form you are uh, uh, required to fill up and to what department you want, you have to go to uh, get the right form to apply for the studentship and whatsoever. So in terms of that, we kind of like really confused at that because uh, that was uh, a first time for my adoptive parent as well. So she was um, really need help in that kind of um, understanding to do the process uh, well. So basically um, with uh, Mr. Satya, he helped us a lot in terms of uh, what what suitable form to fill up. And which department we have to go, which uh, places we, and then what, uh, who we need to meet up, kind of like that thing, so um, it's really easier with uh, Mr. Satya to help us because he has a lot of um, experience, he has been uh, doing this for many years with other people that have similar cases with me, so uh, yeah. So far, what we have done and we have been, you know, through
0: all these time to days from him. Mm-hmm. No, I understand from you and uh, Satya that uh, there's a lot of work involved in putting an, a citizenship application together. Not only do you have to fill up the forms, you have to get the right form, as you said. And sometimes the government officials don't tell you which forms that you need or yeah. the forms. <laughs> Um, they don't tell you which offices to go to to submit the forms. And also mm-hmm. I understand he helped you obtain different kinds of documentary evidence too, right? To accompany mm-hmm. your application. So he helped yeah. you get a lot of the evidence you needed to prove you were mm-hmm. a yeah. um, I wondered if you could talk a little bit about um, why is it that um, you were um, identified as not a, citizen to begin with. I mean, you have an interesting story. Can you tell me where you were born and how you came to be adopted? Oh, okay. Uh, I was born here,
1: uh, in Malaysia, Selangor. Uh, so basically I was adopted by, by my, uh, I was adopted by my adoptive parent. Uh, so basically my adoptive parent was, uh, living with my, uh, real parents as what, uh, what I taught by my adoptive parents so basically from there uh, my adoptive parents told me that uh, the real my real parents had to go to their hometown which is I think Philippines I don't know so uh, from there I was taken care by my adoptive parents till I years old And then now, the she died in 2014. So, um, uh, basically, I don't uh, my documentation. Firstly, it was from my documentation, which I don't have my real parents. Uh, and then I was adopted by my adoptive parent, which is a Malaysian citizenship. Uh, and then, I think because of the unknown reason, I think mostly because of the uh, parents' detail that I don't have. They assume to be um, you no, know, not citizenship of nation.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if I understood you correctly, um, your biological mother was uh, a migrant worker from the Philippines, and that she was returning to the Philippines, and your adoptive parents adopted you. Um, and that um, there was uh, an informal adoption that took place um, and Mm -hmm. that uh, they raised you uh, but that you don't know who your biological parents are and you don't know exactly where Uh, they're from Um, Mm -hmm. but you've been adopted by Malaysian Uh, citizens, is that correct? I think you had told me in the past um, that when you first went to the government office that the government official um, had flagged you as someone who might not be a citizen or had said something mm-hmm. to you. Can you tell me about that encounter when you went to apply for your identification card as to why or how they um, sus- <laughs> you know, or had some suspicions as to why you didn't have the right uh, documentation? Um basically i feel like
1: um a little bit offended about that <laughs> i mean like um you know like people are directly say to me like where are you come from like uh who your parents something like that i was like ah, okay i'm from Asia. i was born in Malaysia. i have a legal documentation for that and they was like they were reading that and asking me after reading that documentation, it was like, okay, what is going on? So I was like, okay. <laughs> kind of like that treatment. I uh, get it a few times, but uh, no really big. Reason.
0: I think you had told me in the past too, that the government officials said you didn't look like your mother. Was that? <laughs> yeah. <right? laughs> yeah that <laughs> you You must not be her daughter because you don't look like your mother, and I think that was a comment on your appearance. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, yeah, yeah, that you, you really might need that. But you said this happens to you sometimes, that people look at you and say, mm-hmm. where are you from? Um, that you don't look like a typical Malaysian. Is that correct? <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> I think so. Mostly, mostly I said that. Yeah. Um, I'm wondering if you could tell me how many times you did apply for citizenship. So the first time you said you applied, it took five years for them to respond, for the government to respond to your application. And um, were you granted citizenship after that? Uh, No, I basically was denied for that
1: citizenship application. So after that, I went to second application. Uh, that time I was uh, 18 or 19, I think. So basically uh, I was actually rushed because I want to apply for university. So basically for public university, you need to have legal documentation uh, to apply for the university. So uh, from there, me and my uh, paralegal, Mr. Safia we, uh, we, we went to the media. So, you know, like to have um, a little bit uh, help
0: from the public. So, um, your first application, which you waited for for five years, was denied. Did the government give you any reason why they denied your application?
1: Um, no, really. They just said um, that it was denied. No exact reason for that. So, we just... No, I'll apply
0: for the second one Okay and and um, the second citizenship application were you granted citizenship then and how long did you wait for them to process it? Uh, for the second one, I think one year after that, then I got right away my ID card. so yeah one year. So one year, and th- this one was granted or was not granted? Yeah, uh, I was granted for that. Okay, was this the application that was done at uh, um, at the offices in uh, um, Putrajaya? Uh, yeah, I, when I was with you that time. With okay. uh,
1: my, yeah.
0: So you only and applied time, twice? Yeah. You only applied twice? Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. So it took you two applications and the entire processing time from beginning to end, two years for the birth certificate, five years for the first citizenship application, plus one year for the second application. So that took eight years for you to resolve (laughs) your status. (laughs) And in between, um, I understand that um, Mr. Satya connected you with a lawyer as well. You had a lawyer and, a paralegal, and you took your case to the media. Why did you think it would be useful or helpful? Why did your lawyers think it was uh, useful for you to go to the media? And were you at all scared about sharing your story publicly? Uh, at first I was really scared and worried because basically no,
1: any my friends know about this. you know. The one who knows is just the one who close my family and my teachers, uh, and also Mister Satya. So, uh, I was really uh, worried about that at first, and then, but I thought about it, um, deeply about it, about my future and what what I want to do. So I went, I agree with my lawyer and Mister Satya to go to the media. It was actually to arise uh, public concern and public awareness about this issue. Basically, uh, there's a lot of statelessness um, in Asia going on. So basically, it's like also it's uh, like eye-opening for this issue.
0: Um, I also remember um, in March 2018, um, I accompanied you and your lawyers to... Mm -hmm. Um, a day-long excursion to try to advocate directly with the Home Minister to grant your citizenship application. Um, I remember it was a very long day trip. We drove from Kuala Lumpur to um, the administrative city of Putrajaya, where all of the administrative arm of the government sat. And I remember um, that staff of the Home Minister had contacted you and said that they wanted to take a photograph with you and that they would pledge publicly to give you citizenship, but that your lawyer advised you not to do this. Um, Can you tell me why and can you tell me um, what occurred during that day? Um, I know what happened, but I would love to hear from your your point of view. Uh... It was really hectic. Actually, it was like we we have
1: another business. We have actually had a business in home ministry. But then someone from officer from home ministry uh, contacted me to go somewhere else. Uh, I want to. I went to there is actually to get this uh, discuss to to know what reason uh, why my application was denied that kind of matters. But then they said this kind of business like taking photo then I will granted you with the citizenship. it was like it wasn't even in the office like official uh, places to do so I was like um, I decided to not to go uh, after advisors uh, by my lawyer so yeah it was it was actually really epic actually that day. It was like um, there's two people um, talking to my boat here. It was like, I was like really confused at that time.
0: It was a very confusing day. I think um, from my point of view, I saw um, a lot of communication happening between you and your lawyers and staff from mm-hmm. the Home Minister trying to get you to another location yeah. to do a photo op and that they would promise after the photo op to give you citizenship, but that your lawyers advised you that there Mm -hmm. was no guarantee after the photo op that they would, and that there was a past incident where the home minister had taken photos with stateless persons and did not give them citizenship. Um, And so I think I remember your lawyers saying, you have the upper hand and don't give it away by Mm -hmm. taking a photograph with the home minister. and I I remember distinctly that uh, someone had said, ask him if he has the identification card in his hand, your citizenship in his yeah. hand, and we will only go <laughs> if he will give it to you when you take the photo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember, I remember the,
1: that too. It was like...
0: Keep going. Yeah. You remember that too? Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: yeah. It was like really funny as well. It was like, oh my God, what... what? you know like it's really I think someone is like trying to get my attention and then you know like
0: yeah and it was a bit of a roller coaster that day we were traveling from early morning till I would say early evening and back and forth to try to negotiate a meeting with the home minister and Um, And the home minister trying to get you to do a photo (laughs) with him. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to know how you felt at some points during the day I observed you felt hopeful and other times you felt quite sad. Can you tell me what you felt during that day?
1: Yeah, I was really upset at the end of the day after, you know, we wait for the home minister to, you know, to go to Petrajaya where we waited there. So... Basically, uh, it was a little bit disappointing that um, the case is not really, you know, completely solved. Uh, On our side, it was like, um, you know, like don't really have uh, the final decision whether I get the uh, citizenship or not. So I was a little bit upset and down down after that. Uh, But then my lawyers and Mr. Satya told me not to give up. They're really uh, supportive and encouraged me uh, that this is not the end of the world. It's just uh, the beginning. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, and I wondered if you could tell me how um, this came to be. I mean, your lawyer and your paralegal helped you with your applications. They advised you on steps you needed to take to apply for citizenship but um, why did they decide to um, go directly to the home minister? Did they tell you what the strategy was or why it was important for you to not only speak to the media but try to advocate directly to the home minister? Can you speak about that? I'm not really sure but then
1: I think mostly because of the uh, home minister at that time was uh, 100% responsible for every citizenship application in Malaysia. So I think my lawyer tried to bring these matters directly to the one who responsible for these matters. So
0: yeah, I think that's why, that's why they went there. Mm-hmm. And I remember during that day, the staff of the Home Minister told you um, to do an application that day and that they had Mm -hmm. promised to process it that day. I remember all of us running around with you to fill out applications and forms. Um, Do you remember that? Can you tell me what it felt like to fill out an additional application like that? Yeah, it was like really, it was like,
1: back to square one, which is the many many forms that I need to fill up. But this time, that time I was a little bit in ease, which is easier because I have my lawyer, uh, Mr. Satya, to help me with that kind of form. So it was actually really hectic because I need to do for the um, citizenship um, application and then need to go back to home ministry to wait for the final decision for the uh, citizenship.
0: Yeah, so, so in the end you were able to submit a new application and that mm-hmm. the home minister was aware of it. Um, mm-hmm. Were you given the impression that you would have gotten a response that day? Um. um I was,
1: I don't know, I. I, I think I think I don't really um you know like really expecting to get it right away but um as this issue like a little bit more concerning at that time I was thought that um you know this matter can re- can be solved right away because we are contacting directly to the home minister so yeah uh the reaction from the home minister at that time was like uh not what i was expecting actually mm-hmm.
0: um i remember that uh this occurred when you were around 20 years old is that correct mhm yeah and that there was an urgency your birthday was in april <laughs> yeah <laughs> and that you would become uh an adult in malaysian yeah. law um in april and we were at the Home Ministry in March. Um, Why, can you explain why it was really important and why your lawyers felt it was important to expedite your case or to have some certainty with regards to your citizenship application before your 21st birthday, why? Um,
1: Because of after you reach uh, 21 years old, then it's really difficult to apply and to get citizenship after you have reached a legal age. So that's why they really rushed to get me the citizenship and also applied before I reached 21 years old.
0: Yeah, I think I understand that the Federal Constitution of Malaysia has a provision that Mm -hmm gives the Home Minister discretion to grant citizenship to any child that is stateless Mm -hmm. before the age of 21. And so your lawyers felt this was very important that you Mm -hmm. still qualify for that opportunity before you turn age 21. How old were you when you were eventually granted citizenship? Uh, 21 years old. Mm -hmm. And when when did you get your citizenship? Um, I think a year after that uh on july 2018
1: i yeah
0: july 2019 ah no, uh, yeah 19 yeah. so can you tell me how that happened um were you surprised what what do you think changed that allowed them to grant your citizenship application i think mostly because of uh, um
1: maybe because of the application, I think because, uh I had it really long to uh with the application, and then I think mostly they uh look up to my education level, what future that I hold. So I think they
0: consider it that kind of um point. Yeah. Um- I noticed that the media, uh, there were a lot of media stories on you and your case (laughs) in Malaysia and you've publicly identified as a hijab wearing Muslim who speaks Malay and is a straight A student um, and that you have not been able to go to university because you have been stateless. Do you think all of these things helped you in obtaining citizenship, the fact that you are Malay uh, in your heart, in the way that you present yourself and mm-hmm. that you are a promising student that wanted to go to university. Did, do you think all of these things helped you in your application? Yeah, I think it actually played a major part of it. I think because of that,
1: um, they, uh, maybe they see something in me that, you know, like something in future, um and also that you know uh here we were we were speaking in Malay so they are really look up at that of um character so yeah
0: mhm um can you tell me what you did when you found out you were granted citizenship what did you do that day how did you celebrate
1: um i was uh at university at that time. Um, I think I'm having classes and then Mrs. Satya called me that um, I got already my citizenship so basically we the next day we prepare to go to home ministry to get the letters and then right away uh, apply for the IC.
0: That's wonderful um, and what I remember when I asked you uh, when we were at Putrajaya during that day, that hectic day you described, um, me <laughs> trying to meet the Home Minister. I asked you, what would you do if you got citizenship? Do you remember what you said to me?
1: Maybe I said that I want to have a bank, my own bank account, and then I would like to have my, um, uh, what is it, uh, car license? I think,
0: that the most
1: thing I want to do.
0: <laughs> yeah, I remember you said you would jump up and down. <laughs> you would be really happy um, that you would uh, enroll in university and get yeah. your IC and your driver's license. <laughs> um, I'm assuming you've done all that now. How does it feel yeah. to be a citizen?
1: Uh, it was really I. I was really happy. I am happy. I'm very grateful with this. Uh, Now I'm a citizen of nation. Things have been easier for me. Uh, I can, uh, you know, like I can move around freely. I don't have to worry about uh, those uh, matters in terms of documentation whatsoever. Um, You know, like whatever I want to do, I can just go for it. That kind of thing that is not uh, limits me to do something. It was like really, it's like a freedom.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can imagine. brysa um, I think you know you uh, were so young when this happened, and throughout this whole process, um, you've been so brave. Uh, I've noticed how mm-hmm. poised you are when you're talking to the media. Um, and you, I didn't know this until you mentioned it now. But you said that nobody knew you were stateless until you went public. Um, how did people react when you came out publicly with your story? I th- I think it's incredibly brave that you took that risk to come out with your story. So, how how did people react, and did people treat you differently after that?
1: Um, basically, they just treat me the same like before. Um, they actually really shocked when they told me that, um, you know, like this kind of issue. They, they said that uh, they really want to know that I can share with them. So I was really grateful for that. They're really supportive. They are giving me, you know, more um, motivation, uh, positive words to go with the day, you know, like uh, after the long day. So uh, yeah, I was actually really um worried about their reaction at first. So I I never thought about I went to the media.
0: So basically, they found followed by themselves when they wrote the news. <laughs> yeah, no, I think you are a very resilient person and it shows that you are able to Perform so well at school despite the challenges you faced. What are, what are you studying now that you are in university? I'm doing third years um,
1: in accounting course in Tuna University in Kuala Lumpur. So um, yeah, I'm doing accounting course.
0: That right sounds now. wonderful. <laughs> um, and it's so wonderful to hear that you've been able to realize your dream of going to university. Um, can you tell me just one final question, just why do you think this happened? Um, you know, you mentioned that there are a lot of cases of statelessness in Malaysia. Why do you think this is happening in Malaysia? And what's your understanding of how this could have happened to you?
1: Um, I think mostly because of the process, um, it was really complicated. Um, and long way to go. Uh, it's really needs, um, you know, like um, better understanding to do these uh, issues, especially those parents who has uh, stateless kids. So, um, for, from what I understand, is that I think because of the application itself, it's really complicated. Uh, it's not easy to get it. Uh, as i concern, concerned, um, there's a lot of application for citizenship in Malaysia. So I think that actually maybe be uh, the factor why the, the process itself is really long and difficult to get it. Um, however, I think um, mostly because of the awareness about this issue that people don't have and then Especially for those parents who don't really have um, knowledge in law and what kind of um, process they need to go in, in the right way, so they can get the citizenship. I think that kind of uh, challenges uh really, you know, um, play an important role for that.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it sounded very complicated. I'm just marveling that you were 21 when you became a citizen, you were 12 when you found out you were stateless. So it took almost 10 years for you to (laughs) rectify that situation considering the fact that you were born in Malaysia and that you have Malaysian parents. um, Well, I just wanna say thank you so much for sharing your story. It is um, great that it ended in a happy way and that you're doing so well. Um, but I just want to, you know, thank you for being brave again by sharing something <laughs> that most people would find very difficult to talk about. So I thank you.
1: I feel like this is like a long time ago, not really long time ago. It was like something that I really cherished. Uh It was like a story to be told twice. So I was like, I'm very excited actually for this session with you to share my stories with others to have better understanding what we are feeling. So um, I'm really grateful that someone like you are doing these issues to have, you know, like better awareness for the public and responsible for this. Thank you so much for having me today.
0: It was really great to have you again. (laughs) You too, it's so nice to see you doing well. Thank you. See you soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Migration Conversations is created and hosted by me, Professor Jamie Liu, and produced by University of Ottawa Tech Law Fellow June Gleed. This podcast was made possible with the guidance and assistance of University of Ottawa Tech Law Fellow Ritesh Kotak, Carleton University graduate student Rachel McNally as well as the generous support of Carleton University and the University of Ottawa shared online projects initiatives. You can find more Migration Conversations episodes on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts and YouTube with closed captions. Thank you for listening and a special thank you for all the guests who have shared their experiences publicly.